Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good afternoon and welcome to WADA, ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to the 24th episode of ADA Live. My name is Sally Weiss, and I'm Director of Knowledge Translation for the Southeast ADA Center. Our guest today is Georgia Fruchtenicht, Curriculum and Learning Specialist, Trainer, and Navigator Team Leader for Parent to Parent of Georgia. Georgia is also the project coordinator for the Parent Detailer Project, which is part of the Autism Plan for Georgia. Last month, Georgia talked about what parents need to know before the school year begins. In this episode, Georgia will be talking about what parents can do if it seems that their child's school year is not going as well as they had hoped. ADA listening audience, you can submit your questions about IDEA, 504, and ADA at any time on adalive.org. Georgia, welcome back to our show. Thank you, Sally. I'm glad to be back. I'd like to start today with a question question from our listener. School started two weeks ago, and my child is having a very hard time. Every day he says he hates school and that his teacher is mean. What should I do? Well, it's upsetting to have your child come home and say that they hate school and that teacher is mean, but I think my first bit of advice on that is not to panic. Uh, transitions are difficult, and getting back into a school year, um, you think about it, you're getting up earlier, you've got a completely different schedule than the summer, Uh, there's a lot more structure at school, Uh, it's difficult, and it's difficult for typical kids, and especially difficult for children uh, with disabilities, and so I wouldn't panic, uh, but I would definitely pay attention and talk to your child about that, and think about last school year, and that adjustment period, and Uh, Was that difficult? And uh, what all could be going on? Uh, You may want to delay communicating with the school uh, for a bit, but you certainly don't want to ignore it. Well, do you have suggestions for parents while they are in the wait-and-see mode? I think talk to your child as much as you can uh, about what's going on. Sometimes they just have a lot of feelings that they need to process. And so it's important to listen to their feelings and not discount uh, their feelings. I'll give you an example of a mistake I made with my own child who's in seventh grade and was coming home with a lot of anxiety and feelings and uh, all of this emotion, uh, which, you know, seventh graders tend to have. And I found myself going, yeah, this is real life. It's really, it's a lot of work. And yeah, seventh grade's hard. And, And then after one such conversation where he really, explain to me, you're not helping. (laughs) And I realized that what I was doing is I was discounting his feelings. And what I needed to do was just acknowledge and listen, yeah, this is hard, and then stop instead of giving him a big lecture about real life. And so be careful that you don't discount your child's feelings because you want them to continue to talk to you. Uh, Keeping a journal is really helpful uh, because sometimes you can see patterns. And when you do have that communication, with the school, which you probably will, uh, unless things work themselves out, then you'll, then you'll have some actual data. So you want to keep the date and you want to keep kind of some of the conversations. 
Um, you can find some things that you can practice. For example, if a child has an accommodation at school that may be not being followed, you can kind of do some role-playing with your child on asking for that accommodation. Maybe it's extra time on a test. Um, but I think it's important to, A, not panic, and, B, let them process through some of that transition because we have a saying at our house about building our struggle muscles. And we have muscles that make us strong, and we say that we have a muscle called our struggle muscle, and it's important that we learn how to struggle. And so we don't want to jump in and fix everything because part of growing up and having that transition is struggling a little bit. Are there situations when it's not a good idea to wait and see? Yes, there are. Three come to mind. Uh, If your child doesn't have access to the education, and that could be physical access, uh, maybe the accessible parking is blocked because of the way the carpool line flows and your child can't get into the building, you wouldn't want to wait and see or do a journal entry or anything like that on that. You need to address that immediately. Uh, If your child's IEP or 504 plan is just blatantly not being followed, then you want to address that immediately. For example, if your child has a 504 plan and it says that he can go to the restroom every hour because maybe he has a medical condition that requires him to go to the restroom more often, but the teacher's not allowing him to do that. Well, that's a safety issue and, uh, and a health issue, and so that would need to be addressed immediately. I think any time you don't feel like your child is safe or your child doesn't feel safe, uh, then those issues need to be addressed immediately. I don't recommend waiting and seeing if it's a safety issue. Regardless of whether a parent waits or needs to intervene right away, how can you figure out who you should contact? Well, sometimes that's difficult to figure out who to call. Uh, Getting to know your school system is important, and and sometimes that will help you uh, learn who to call. If it's something that's happening in a classroom, then you'll want to start with the teacher. I think it's really important to start with the person that can help you solve the problem. I had a parent call me, uh, it was a couple of years ago, that uh, she was furious at the teacher, and she told me that she called the president of the United States. Okay, so I applauded her tenacity and her, you know, willingness to get the problem solved, but the president of the United States was not the one to solve that problem. The one to solve that problem was the special education teacher. So start with who you who can address and fix uh, the problem. Sometimes it's the special ed teacher. Sometimes it's the regular ed teacher who maybe doesn't understand the reasoning behind an accommodation or needs some education about your child's disability and what your child needs to be successful in a regular education classroom. Uh, and it also could be multiple teachers. But when you get into middle school and high school, You've got a whole bunch of teachers, and so if you work out an issue with one teacher, then it's a great idea and really helps build relationships if you, you know, maybe send an email and share, you know, with the whole team. If it's a school-level issue, like the the issue that I was talking about earlier on not being able to get into the parking lot uh, or into the building because of the carpool line, then you'll need to go to the principal uh, because the principal is in charge of the school. Um, maybe that's true also if it's like an issue in the lunchroom 
it's an issue in the gym. Lunchrooms and gyms are really difficult for a lot of our kids who have a lot of sensory issues. I mean, they're, they're, they're really stimulating, and that, that causes a lot of anxiety. So the principal would be the one to contact. If it's a bus issue and a lot of, you know, things come up on the bus, then you've got multiple people. You want to talk to the transportation folks at the district level, uh, but then you also want to keep your school people, the principal, as well as the case manager in the loop. Once we figured out who to contact, can you talk a bit more about how we contact them? Do we do it by email, by a phone call, by a note sent into the school? Um, well, there are multiple ways, and I think you've got to figure out the situation and um, and and cater your contact to the situation. Picking up the phone is a great way to build relationships. It's a way to be able to collaborate and solve problems. Uh, the challenge with phone calls is that teachers are teaching. They don't really have time to talk on the phone. If they've got, you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes to eat lunch, you really want them to eat their lunch so they're not grouchy later. Uh, so the phone is sometimes hard. Uh, also, if you do pick up the phone and you call and maybe you have a great conversation uh, with a teacher, then that conversation is not documented. And, uh, and the reality is sometimes people forget conversations uh, on the phone. And so I think if you do the phone call, um, then you want to follow up with some documentation. If you are going to call, you want to really be respectful of their time. You want to be prepared with what you're going to say, uh, and you want to be brief. And that documentation piece is important. And so if you do the phone call route, which is fine to do, you want to follow it up with a short email that documents the conversation. Georgia, when would starting with an email be appropriate? Most of the time. I mean, email is a great way to communicate with teachers and administrators. Um, it does a lot of things. One of the things it does is it allows you to be intentional about the way that you can communicate. Um, it allows you to edit, which I love, because sometimes when I speak, like maybe on the phone, I try to, I, I wish I could take some things back. And an email, I can, I can ramble in an email, and I can get it all out, and then I can go back and I can edit it um, to say exactly what I wanted to say and to make sure that my tone, I mean, email's challenging sometimes because you have to be very careful that your tone is uh, what you want it to be. So I would encourage you to decide on the purpose of your email, be brief, be direct. Um, teachers don't have a lot of time, and so you don't want your email to just get skimmed. You want them to really get the points of your email. And so I would use bullet points to label items like in a series. Uh, I would number the items. If you have things you want specifically answered, you have questions that you want an answer to, uh, you may consider numbering those and maybe bold-facing them. So spend some time on the email so it's easy for them to read and you know that they get your point. Um, you also may want to limit the number of issues that you bring up in one email. Because I don't know about you, but there have been times that I get an email and it's really long and it covers a whole lot of things and I need to address a lot of those things, but I get kind of overwhelmed with it and so I have a tendency to go, mm, I'll look at that later and then I go do something else and I don't respond 
immediately. So you don't want them to do that. You want them to respond immediately. So you want to make it as easy as possible for them to respond. You also want to make sure that your subject of your email is relevant to what your email is about, and it gets their attention, and uh, and it makes them want to open it and read it. Can you give us some examples of when a very short email would work best? Sure. When you're requesting a meeting, I mean, that could be a very brief email. I encourage you to tell them the reason that you're requesting a meeting. Uh, we talked about earlier about the phone call, and maybe you get off the phone, and you sit down, and thank you so much for your time today, and this is what we accomplished in that phone call, and this is what we decided. Um, so follow-up documentation on a phone call, or the same is true for a conversation. Um, you may be walking, you may be at the school, maybe you're volunteering to make copies or something, and you work out an issue with a teacher when you're walking from the classroom to the lunchroom. And uh, so you want to follow that up with an email, and then it documents uh, that conversation. Email is also great to share with multiple teachers. Um, uh, you also may just want to say thank you. Um, I think everyone needs to hear uh, words of appreciation. And so you may, if something worked well, a teacher did something that was nice for your child, then share that with them because I think sometimes they don't hear enough positive. ADA Live listening audience, if you have a question about IDEA 504 or the ADA, please submit it at any time on our online forum at adalive.org. And now, a word from our sponsors. Parent to Parent of Georgia, P2P, is a statewide nonprofit that serves families and individuals impacted by disabilities or special health care needs. P2P is a unique organization because callers are connected to staff who are parents too. We believe that one of the most meaningful sources of support is another parent or family member who has experience navigating the educational and healthcare systems in Georgia. We believe that all families can be empowered to be involved in education and health-related decision-making. With staff and a network of parent volunteers across the state of Georgia, P2P is the source of support, education, and leadership development to families or individuals with any disability or special health care need. All of our services are provided free of charge. Call us today at 1-800-229-2038 or visit our website at p2pga.org. Another parent is waiting to talk with you. We've been talking with Georgia Fruchtenick, Curriculum and Learning Specialist for Parent to Parent of Georgia. Before our break, we were talking about when using email to contact school staff might be appropriate. What if there's something major I want to bring up? Do I have to set up a meeting, or can I bring it up in an email to the teacher? I would recommend if it's, if it's something major, and we've talked about a few things that I would put in that category, uh, then you want to do both. You want to document what's going on uh, in an email, and, uh, and then you want to request a meeting uh, because you may need a meeting. And the, the, some examples that come to mind are um, we had the one about the carpool line or maybe there's an access uh, issue just in the building. The child can't get into a certain classroom. Um, behavior issues is another one that you don't want uh, to let go 
without addressing. I mean, maybe your child has some really challenging behaviors that are part of his or her disability, and he's constantly getting sent to the principal's office or getting sent out of class, so he's missing lots of instructional time because of disciplinary issues. That's something you want to go ahead and meet, but you also want to make sure that you document. Um, Another issue that comes to mind is perhaps if you have in the IEP that a support person is supposed to be special trained uh, in something specific for your child, and then you find out that person is not trained. And that's, that's an issue that you would want to address in an email to get it documented. And then you want to request a meeting so you can figure out what are the next steps and get that addressed as soon as you can. But what if I'm really upset? Do you have any advice about sending an email? I do. Um, And it happens, for sure. I mean, these are our children that we're talking about. It's emotional. Uh, Sometimes we have a lot of our own emotions that we need to process through. I encourage you uh, to find a friend or a support person for yourself. Uh, I find other, I mean, some of my very best friends or other parents of children with disabilities because they get it. And so process your own emotions uh, with other parents uh, and people who get it, and not necessarily the teacher. Um, As far as email goes, um, you heard me say earlier that I like to write. I process things by writing. Um, Write your email, and if you need to write an angry email, write an angry email. I just don't send it. Sometimes what I do is I'll write an email and I won't put anybody in the to field. uh, So then I'm not tempted to just click send and it goes to that person. Um, So write an email and then save it in the draft folder and let it sit for a day. If it's not something, if it's not a huge safety issue that needs to be addressed immediately, then most issues can wait a day. Let someone else read it. There's there's some good information on a website called rightslaw.com. You have to keep in mind it's written by a bunch of lawyers. Um, uh, but one of the advice that they give is when you're writing letters, always pretend that they call it letter to a stranger. Always pretend that a judge is going to read your letter, and if a judge read your letter, would they feel like you were a reasonable person? So if you're really angry and you're just letting it rip in an email, a judge is going to read that and go, okay, this parent's out of control. And so you want to be careful about the way those emails are worded because if it is a really passionate email, it's going to get forwarded. It's going to get moved up to the next uh, level. And sometimes you want it to be. So you just got to make sure that you are being perceived in the way that you want to be perceived. And these relationships are important. So I encourage you to let it sit for a day. Let a friend read it. Let someone that you know that you trust their judgment uh, my husband has a tendency to be a lot more reasonable and not quite as passionate and impulsive as I am. And so he's a great person for me to lift it, read this, and he goes, all right, you're too emotional here, and he can give me some good feedback. Thanks. That clears that up. Now, how long should I wait to see if a situation is being resolved? I think give it a reasonable time. And I know that that's a vague answer, and I wish I had a more specific one. And I know that a reasonable amount of time is very subjective. And my husband and I disagree often about what is reasonable and what a reasonable amount of time is. For him, it may be a week. And for me, it may be a day because he's a lot more patient uh, than I am. 
Uh, it depends on the situation. If it's an urgent situation, you're not going to want to wait as long. Uh, but you want to think about the teacher's perspective. If you send an email at 10 o'clock in the morning and you haven't gotten a response by the end of the day, you could take that as a positive that your teacher is really engaged in teaching and not looking at her email. And, um, and if she doesn't respond at the end of the day, perhaps her children had something going on. So you think about the teacher's perspective and, uh, and give her time to process your email and think about her response. Uh, and also, don't assume just because you haven't gotten a response yet that there's not anything being done. There are situations that I've had experiences with parents where they called me, they said, I sent this email, this is the situation going on, and it's a, it's a situation that I felt like I wanted to help the parent in a way that I could reach out to the school system. So I might get permission from the parent uh, to talk to the school system folks to see if I can help. And, uh, and what I find when I do talk to the school system folks is that they're working on it, and they've got a lot of things figured out, and they're making great progress, but they just haven't been very great about communicating that uh, to the parents. So don't assume just because you haven't heard from them means that they're not working on it. Um, but absolutely give them a little bit of time and, uh, and figure out for yourself, maybe talk to some other people about what, maybe what a reasonable time might be for that situation. Well, if a parent has not heard anything from the school after about four or five days, what should the parent do? Well, I think you should absolutely follow up if you haven't heard back in four or five days, especially if it's, I mean, really any issue, four or five days is completely reasonable, in my opinion. Um, you have to be careful about how you word. I usually will send a follow-up email, and I'll send the same email that I sent earlier. I'll just forward it and just ask them, have you had time to look at this? email. Um, you may want to confirm that you've got their email address correct. Um, I remember a situation that a, a nurse, um, I felt like she was being rude and not returning my email. Well, I had mistyped her email, so she really hadn't gotten it. And so you may want to confirm that. You could also use a kind of a follow-up email as an excuse kind of to add more information and say, I look forward to hearing from you on this, uh, which tells them that you hadn't heard from them. Uh, but I also wanted to let you know something, like add another nugget of information that you hadn't shared with them, and then it gives you an excuse to, to reach out to them. Thanks a lot, Georgia. You've provided us with quite a bit of valuable information. Before we continue, here's a word from our sponsors. The Southeast ADA Center is your leader in providing information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act and disability access tailored to the needs of business, government, and individuals at local, state, and regional levels. The Southeast ADA Center, located in Atlanta, Georgia, is a member of the ADA National Network and serves eight states in the Southeast region. For answers to your ADA questions, contact the ADA National Network at 1-800-949-4232. We've talked about the less formal communication between a parent and the school. What happens if the parent, or maybe the parent and someone at the school, thinks that a change needs to be made to a child's IEP? Are they required to convene another IEP meeting? Sally, that's a great question, and it's one that a lot of parents ask and a lot of parents uh, don't know the answer to. Uh, when they reauthorized the IDEA, which is the law that governs special education, 
2004, they put in the new law that an IEP can be amended without a meeting as long as the parent and the district both agree. And this is encouraging because what this does is it prevents having a team meeting just for the sake of having a team meeting. If you've got 10 people on an IEP team uh, and two people, the parent and one person, could solve the issue, then we don't want to bring those 10 people away from their jobs and their teaching and all that to solve something that two people can do. And so this is exciting. Um, one example that comes to mind is a speech Perhaps there's a speech therapy goal that needs to be amended. Well, as the parent, you and the speech therapist can figure out what is the new goal or accommodation, and, um, and then you can do an amendment. You'll get the case manager to do an amendment to the IEP, and then they'll just communicate that to the whole team. So then the whole team didn't have to meet. And then also an example that comes to mind is there are some cases that there's an issue in a new school year that didn't exist in the last school year. An example that comes to mind on that is perhaps you've got a child who's in the band and he's having trouble putting together his, maybe because of some motor skill issues, uh, having trouble putting together his band instrument. Well, there was no way the IEP team would have thought of that last year because he wasn't in the band last year. And so that's a situation that is really an easy one that you could put in an accommodation that he gets help putting his band instrument together, and that's an amendment. You communicate that amendment to the whole team, and that's the case manager's responsibility um, to communicate that to the whole team. But, you know, as parents, we, we're on the team, and we need to help the case manager remember uh, that communication. can really We can all take part um, in that. Georgia, we're almost out of time today. Do you have anything else you'd like to say to parents? I do, and I think it goes back to a point that I made earlier about parents seeking out emotional support. I think sometimes, and I know I do this, sometimes I put my children's needs before my own, and as a parent of children with disabilities, it's important that I take care of myself. I'm going to be more effective taking care of them if I'm taking care of myself. And where you get that emotional support is important. I think sometimes it's easy to seek out that emotional support from teachers. And I would encourage you to try to avoid doing that. There are some teachers that are awesome and they're totally willing to provide that emotional support. Um, but we really want our teachers focused on teaching the children and not supporting the families. Uh, there are a lot of organizations that do family support. In every community, um, I would argue there are groups of parents of children with disabilities. Uh, in our state, the state of Georgia, um, we have Parents Parent of Georgia, and you heard the commercial about that, which is a nonprofit that supports families of children with disabilities. And the way I got started uh, with Parent to Parent is uh, Augie was diagnosed with autism when he was two. And if you would have asked me, Georgia, how are you doing on emotional support? I would have said, man, I'm covered up with emotional support. I got my Bible study. I got my tennis friends. I got my group of college friends. I even got some friends from high school. I'm good. I connect with people well. Um, but even though I had all of that emotional support, I felt completely alone. And um, I didn't, I was devastated about that diagnosis. And so I called parent to parent, and they were able to match me with another parent of a child with autism who's actually a little older than Augie, and it was 
it was such an awesome experience for me to talk to someone who got it. And then she was able to introduce me to all these other parents who had children uh, on the spectrum. And all of a sudden, I found myself in this club. And it wasn't a club I would have signed up for had I seen a list of clubs. Uh, but it's, in a, it's a club of amazing women. And so I encourage you, whatever community you're in, to seek out the parents of other children with whatever, you know, that similar needs to your child. Um, and there are some organizations, like every state, we talked earlier about the IDEA, which is the law that governs special education. Uh, in Part D of the IDEA, there's funding for every state to have a parent training information center. So I encourage you, and for the state of Georgia, Parent to Parent is the PTI, or the Parent Training Information Center. So I encourage you, you may not have a parent to parent in your state, you might, uh, but you do definitely have a parent training information center. So find out who it is in your state, reach out to them um, to get that support, and also give that support. If you've got the support to give, uh, reaching out to other parents, I find sometimes uh, the more I reach out to parents, I, I, I start out reaching out and giving the support, but I end up getting the support uh, too. So I just think it's really important that we are intentional about taking care of ourselves and that we're looking to get that support from other parents uh, and not necessarily from the teachers. Thank you, Georgia. I'd like to thank Georgia Fructonek, Curriculum and Learning Specialist, Trainer, and Navigator Team Leader for Parent to Parent of Georgia, for joining us today. This show will be archived on our website, adalive.org, along with the resource sheet containing information about IDEA, 504, and ADA. Thank you also to our ADA Live listening audience. The Southeast ADA Center is grateful for your support and participation in this series of WADA ADA Live broadcasts. You may submit questions about any of our ADA Live topics by going to adalive.org. Please join us again on October 7th, 2015, for another episode of WADA ADA Live. If you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, please contact your regional ADA Center at one 800 Once again, that's 1-800-949-4232. All calls are free and confidential. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.